Good morning, everybody. It's Steph. Hope you're doing well. It's time for us to chat about prostitution. Uh, I'm sorry to uh, have to chat about this topic or to choose to chat about this topic, but uh, it seems that something I took for granted is not something that is understood by other people to be taken for granted. So that's no problem. I certainly could be incorrect about this. So let's do um, the useful stuff and to start with some facts. Now, you can debate and argue these facts and so on, which is fine, but the trends do seem to be rather um, rather universal. So this is, um, uh, this is uh, North American uh, statistics. And, uh, but just before we start, I'm fully aware of the argument that says, that uh, sex is like nutrition, you go and buy a meal, why can't you go and buy sex? I'm fully aware of the argument that says all of the problems that arise from prostitution arise from the fact that it's illegal, and blah de blah de blah So we'll get to those perhaps a little later. Actually, not perhaps. We will get to those a little later, but let's start with some facts. The average age of entry... Oh, this is from prostitutionresearch.com. The average age of entry into prostitution is 13 years uh, old, or 14 years old. This is sort of two. These are from the 80s. I don't think it's changed that much. Uh, most of these 13- or 14-year-old girls were recruited or coerced into prostitution. Others were, quote, traditional wives without job skills who escaped from or were abandoned, abandoned by abusive husbands and went into prostitution to support themselves and their children. Evidence of the prevalence of incest among prostitutes ranged from 65 to 90 percent. Uh, incest being they were raped as children by a blood-related family member, usually a father. It could be an uncle, I guess, a grandfather. The Council for Prostitution Alternatives in Oregon uh, in 91 stated that 85% of prostitutes and clients reported history of sexual abuse in children. 70% reported incest. The higher percentages, 80-90% to 90% of reports of incest and childhood sexual assaults of prostitutes came from anecdotal reports and from clinicians working with prostitutes. Uh, what else do we have? 80% of prostitution survivors at the Whisperer Oral History Project reported that their customers showed them pornography to illustrate the kinds of sexual activities in which they wanted to engage. Pornography. Okay. Uh, 90% of prostituted women uh, had pimps while in prostitution. About 80% of women in prostitution have been the victim of a rape. It's hard to talk about this because the experience of prostitution is just like rape. Prostitutes are raped on average 8 to 10 times per year. They are the most raped class of women in the history of our planet. Uh, other studies report 68 to 70 percent of women in prostitution are being raped, and 78 um, percent of women who sought help from the Council for Prostitution Alternatives were reported being raped on average of 16 times a year by pimps, and were raped 33 times a year by Johns. Uh, in another study, 85 percent of prostitutes are raped by pimps. Um, in a study of 475 people in prostitution, including women, men of the transgendered, uh, from five countries, South Africa, Thailand, Turkey, USA, and Zambia, 62% reported having been raped in prostitution, 73% reported having experienced physical assault in prostitution, 72% were currently or formerly homeless, 92% stated that they wanted to escape prostitution immediately. Uh, a Canadian report on prostitution uh, concluded that girls and women in prostitution have a mortality rate 40 times higher than the national average. In one study, 75% of women in escort prostitution had attempted suicide. This is the uh, the higher classes, not sort of call girls on the street. Prostituted women comprised 15% of all completed suicides reported by, by hospitals. 
So those are some of the statistics. And i just do a couple more, and then we will start our chat about the general theory. Um, the age at which respondents... This is uh, from uh, another uh, study. I'll post the reference on the board. This is uh, in 2000. Uh, they began interviewing prostitutes in uh, the Chicago metropolitan uh, area. Uh, age of entry. The age at which respondents first exchanged sex for money ranged from 4 to 50 years. About one-third of the women entered prostitution before the age of 15, and 62% of the sample started in prostitution before their 18th birthday. Early starters, those women who began between the ages of 12 and 15, were more disadvantaged in a number of ways. 72% of early starters ran away from home. Early starters were more likely to have used drugs or alcohol growing up. Only one-fourth of early starters had completed a high school education or GED. Early starters engaged in a greater number of different prostitution activities. Over half of the early starters grew up in a household with prostitution. 87% of early starters had someone suggest that they engage in prostitution while they were growing up, not recommended parenting metrics. Early starters reported a greater number of health problems at the time of the interview. Family of origin. One-fourth of respondents grew up without a mother in the household um, and 59% without a father. Close to one-fourth of the women had been separated from their primary caregiver for a year or more. Sixty percent reported domestic violence in the household. Eighty-three percent reported substance abuse by others in the household while growing up, with 86 percent themselves using drugs or alcohol. Over half the women ran away from home at least once. One-third of the respondents indicated that someone in the household other than themselves regularly exchanged sex for money while they were growing up. Seventy-one percent knew someone in the neighborhood who regularly exchanged sex for money. Uh, over 70% reported that while growing up, someone suggests they engage in prostitution. Uh, regardless of the type of prostitution activity, high percentages of women had experienced violence while engaged in prostitution from customers, pimps, intimate partners, managers, police officers, and neighbors. Women on the streets, uh, in drug houses, and in hotels reported high rates of forced sex and physical violence, with almost one-fourth of women in drug houses being raped more than ten times. Women in escort services... Uh, and exotic dancing were also subjected to high rates of sexual and physical violence, with 21.4% of women in escort services being raped more than 10 times. It's not raped at all. It's raped more than 10 times. Customers were most frequently identified as the perpetrators of violence across all venues, followed by intimate partners, pimps, police officers, and neighborhood residents. Uh, anyway, so pimping uh, large numbers of women gave money to other people. Homelessness, substantial percentages of women in street prostitution, drug houses, and survival sex were homeless while engaged in these activities. Um, less than 5% of women in each prostitution activity said they never used alcohol or drugs. Over 90% of women in both street and off-street activities increased their drug or alcohol use during prostitution. Um, of the 39 different health problems listed, women reported experiencing a mean of 9.85 problems. Over half of the respondents said they suffered from headaches or migraines. About half of the women reported having sexually transmitted infections, and 22% of the women of the respondents reported being HIV positive. 60% um, of respondents stated they had tried drug treatment a mean of 7.64 times, uh, detox outpatient programs and residential programs. Uh, Three-quarters of the sample said they were arrested at least once. Um... Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so you sort of get the picture. And you can look up a variety of statistics. And I sort of want to differentiate because I know that there's a sort of libertarian argument that says if money exchanges hands, 
then it's not uh, there's nothing wrong with it right i mean if if uh, if money uh, changes hands there's there's nothing wrong with it and the argument uh, also of course exists to say that sex is a service and um you know, somebody can cook your meal then somebody can can give you uh, can you can have sex with someone for money and uh, if you pay for a massage, uh, that's somebody touching you uh, in ways that you wouldn't allow, a tr- you know, just a mere stranger to touch you, and and so on. And I also understand uh, the arguments that say that uh, these women, you know, no, nobody, I mean, no sane human being is for child prostitution, but these people are saying, well, you know, if she's an adult and that's what she chooses to do, uh, who's going to interfere with her choice, and uh, and all that kind of stuff. Like I fully, I fully understand these arguments, and I, I'm, you know, I'm going to sort of have a, a swing at them. Uh, for me, at least, I sort of put uh, put my cards on the table. Uh, for me, um, the exchange of money for a particular transaction uh, makes it, uh, you know, the fact that it's not coercive is um, uh, is obviously the, one of the main criteria for determining sort of the difference between good and evil. So, I'm certainly not putting people in the category of uh, it's it's evil. To do uh, to go to a prostitute. That's certainly not my because uh, there is no direct uh, violence involved in uh, giving a woman uh, money for um, uh, for sex. Uh, so you know, please understand. Uh, you know, when I was sort of talking about um, this uh, this self-esteem issue, uh, I was not talking about anything moral or immoral or criminal uh, from a sort of good and evil standpoint. Because yeah, I fully understand. There's no sex. Uh, sorry, there's no. Um, there's no uh, initiation of the use of force or fraud in uh, going to uh, to see a prostitute. But what I'd sort of like to take a stab at, and I can't prove this, right? And I've never been able to claim to prove it. I believe it to be a fact. I think that you can tell some... I mean, you. this is sort of the basis of psychological diagnosing, right? Which is that you can tell something about someone based on their uh, behavior. Right, that it's not all just you know uh, self-reporting. Right, so uh, you can look at someone and say, well, they have uh, they are evidencing high or low self-esteem, or or you know greater or lesser uh, integrity in their life based on their actions. Right, so uh, if uh, if you say uh, if I say to you, person X was in good health and uh, young and committed suicide then you can legitimately, I think, say that this person was not happy, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's this sort of basic that, that I'd sort of like to start with, right? And, and of course, if you say, if your immediate response is to say, well, but there could be other reasons, they could, you know, they're healthy, and instead of say, well, they're free, they're, you know, whatever, right? Uh, and they decide to kill themselves, we can sort of get some sense, sorry, move the microphone, we can get some sense that they're not, uh, not, not happy. I think that would be a reasonable assumption. Uh, similarly, and this is sort of standard psychological stuff, right? So if you want to, uh, if you want to argue, you can argue with the, <laughs> every psychologist on the planet. Uh, this is not just sort of me spouting off uh, for once. And uh, uh, if if somebody self mutilates, right? Like if somebody uh, cuts themselves on a regular basis, this is a symbol. Uh, sorry, this is a, a a symptom of pretty extreme pathology, right? This is a crushingly low self esteem, usually associated with uh, extreme physical or uh, emotional or sexual attacks uh, as uh, or violence when uh, when they were children and usually very very young children 
So there is, you know, just in the same way that uh, a doctor is going to have to diagnose you based on, uh, you know, you're going to report some symptoms. You go to a doctor and you say, you know, I've got this pain in my whatever, my kidney, or I've got my, this pain in my middle. Uh, middle, middle does hurt. Uh, then the doctor is going to have to uh, try to come to a conclusion based on, you know, fairly extensive knowledge and training. And uh, Christina was sort of asking me about a post that she put on the board last night talking about her experience uh, in treating um, uh, prostitutes and, and uh, the Johns, and both male and female on both sides. And uh, she said, well, how am I going to prove all of this? And I said, well, you know, the, the, you have a, a master's uh, degree in psychology, and you, so you studied it for six years, and then you took five years of supervised training, and you've got 14 years of experience, and you're running your own clinic. There's no... I mean, you can't transfer that kind of knowledge to somebody else very easily, right? I mean, actually, you can't, right? I mean, you simply, you can't, unless they want to go and uh, study psychology for years and so on. You simply, and it's sort of like somebody going up to the surgeon and saying, let me take over for a while, right? And it's like, well, I can't let you do that, or I can't transfer my knowledge to you. So when people sort of say, well, why is this and why is this? It can go on forever, right? And like, at some point, you're going to accept the authority of an expert, uh, at least to the point where you'll be curious, but if you sort of stand up and just challenge that expert, uh, then say, well, the expert isn't proving the case, it's like, well, that's because it takes a lot of training and expertise to, uh, to sort of follow why all of this stuff occurs. Human behavior is confusing, right? So one gentleman asked, and, you know, quite rightly so, how could it be that a desire to humiliate someone uh, uh, goes along with the desire to humiliate yourself? And it's like, well, that's complex, and to answer that question would take quite a lot of study of early childhood development and, and, and the brain. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's a complicated, complicated field. And, of course, it is not a hard science, right? So uh, people can always say, well, I know of an exception, and that disproves the rule. Well, of course, right? I mean, psychology is not physics, right? One exception does not, one observed, one observed exception does not approve the, uh, disprove the rule. And, of course, people can also, and I'm not accusing anyone of this in particular, but uh, people can also mess up psychological explorations by simply lying, right, in a way that, you know, atoms and energy can't, right? I mean, if you say, if your physics theory says the, the, the particle is going to be here and the particle is there, fantastic, but the particle's not going to lie and say that it's there. But, uh, you know, in that sort of house phenomenon if on the TV show, right, that... that uh, uh, the people who have the greatest pathologies are the ones least likely to tell you the truth about their histories and their... Uh, actually, no, sorry, that's, that's not accurate. Uh, that's not true. Uh, it's just that um, there's... I'm not going to sort of put that in, right? Because, uh, you know, the first thing that I jump to is if that's true, then um, all of the uh, people who are reporting this sort of prostitution uh, are saying, well, uh, they're sort of lying about their, their histories. But it is true, let's just say, that there is capacity to lie in self-reporting in psychological uh, examinations, right? So, uh, you know, somebody, uh, if, if I say, uh, well, self-mutilation is a sign of, of low or negative self-esteem, then um, uh, someone would say, well, I self-mutilate and I'm very happy, right? And of course, I have no way of verifying that. Uh, no way of verifying that at all, right? Um, it's just that uh, when you look at the long-term trajectory, and you can get this from looking at people's lives as a whole, when you look at the count no man happy until he's died, when you look at the long-term trajectory of people's, um, uh, of people's lives, you get some sort of sense of uh, what, uh, you know, what their stability and what their sort of core values are and so on. As anyone in the moment can come across great and, and look, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, I, I regularly cut myself. 
when I'm feeling down, but it makes me feel better and I get a real thrill and I'm happy about it. Uh, and so you have that problem as well, right? So somebody puts forward a psychological theory and, uh, and again, this doesn't prove or disprove anything I'm saying. I'm just talking about the general risks of psychological theories that somebody can then say, well, I, um, I don't experience that at all, therefore your theory is false, right? And of course, that's, um, uh, that's, uh, that, that's a risk you take, right? I mean, so you have to look for, uh, you know, statistical generalities and evidences and, and so on, right? So, um, so let's start talking about this, uh, this issue sort of in, in, uh, in a bit more detail, right? Because people are, um, you know, fairly uh, uh, flustered, let's say, that I have this theory, which, of course, I mean, if you find it to be nonsense, you certainly don't have to listen to anything. I feel a bit ferocious about this topic because I'm all about the protection of children and, uh, uh, again, not child prostitutes, but I'll sort of make this connection as I move forward, for better or for worse. So uh, this is not going to be the most gentle of podcasts, but uh, I hope that you'll excuse my passion. I feel quite strongly about this. So, on average, in balance, with the clear majority of, uh, uh, of prostitutes, if not, I mean, certainly uh, uh, Christina's not, not known of any exception, both in her practice and in other people's practice, uh, you look at these statistics, and all of them, I'm going to talk about the stuff that occurs prior to somebody entering the prostitution, uh, prostitution field. Because the standard libertarian argument that it's voluntary, that's fine. Uh, or that the only abuses occur because it's illegal, that's uh, also fine. So we're, not go- we're going to bypass all of that by talking about the histories of uh, women and men who end up in prostitution. Now, I'm just going to talk about the women, um, but uh, from what I've read and from what uh, I've talked about with others uh, who are in the sort of profession, it's not uh, specific to women, but uh, I'm just so I don't have to keep saying he and she all the time. We'll go with the standard metric. So the average uh, woman uh, and the vast majority of women who end up in prostitution have been seriously raped uh, seriously and serially raped as children. That's a fact that libertarian theory is not going to be able to bypass. Now, psychological theories, and more than theories, this is pretty much a given in the industry uh, and in the sort of uh, the, in the discipline of psychology, is that early and repeated rape by primary caregiver and the majority, uh, clear majority, it's incest and others, it's probably just others around the family, uh, but of course, when you end up uh, getting raped, uh, even as a child by somebody outside your family, it's not because you've been taught good boundaries and been well treated and respected within your family. So when a child gets repeatedly raped by a primary caregiver, that child grows up without ego defenses, without a sense of self, with no capacity for self-protection, and with... Uh, uh, no self-worth, right? Just the, to, to rape a child, and again, I'm not saying anyone is arguing that this is a good thing. I'm just sort of looking at the genesis or the etymology of uh, a woman who ends up exchanging sex for money. A woman who is repeatedly raped as a child, it is about the worst form of child abuse that there is. It is, I mean, I can't imagine the repeated rape of a, of a child by a primary caregiver. I can't imagine a worse form of child abuse. Maybe outright murder, who knows, right? But, but uh, the, uh, being raised by uh, a sociopathic, m- evil murderous rat bastard who rapes children is very... Uh, I mean, you can't get worse abuse and stay alive. And 
if this uh, if this occurs for you as a as a child as a as a little girl, then you're not going to grow up with any sense of self. You're going to grow up with an absolutely reinforced and traumatized and brutalized belief that you simply exist to service the needs of others. That you simply exist to service the needs of others. You're not going to grow up with any sense of self. You're not going to grow up with any ego boundaries, with any sense of self or other, because, of course, you're the ego boundaries of your personality and your body, your tender little body, have been repeatedly violated. You're not going to have any sense of privacy. You're not going to have any sense that you exist independently of other people's needs. And you're not going to have any sense of self-protection. I mean, little girls do not want to get raped. And the only way that they get raped repeatedly is if the punishment for not submitting to the rape, and I would argue the punishment for not pretending that you enjoy the rape as a child, is far worse than the rape itself, right? So basically, you have to threaten a child with... Uh, extreme physical violence in order to get the child to submit to a rape. So uh, there is no capacity for self-protection. There's no capacity for negotiation. There's no capacity, I mean, in a sort of fundamental emotional sense, there's no capacity for self-protection. And there is a uh, fundamental and deep-seated and highly rooted conviction that to attempt to deny the needs of others, uh, particularly in a sexual sense, will result in death. So, uh, fundamentally, this is the worst form of post-traumatic stress disorder, the worst form of uh, exploitation. Uh, I mean, we all know that a woman who gets repeatedly raped as an adult is going to suffer some significant trauma. I mean, enormous trauma, mind-blowing trauma. A woman who gets raped once as an adult suffers mind-blowing trauma. Uh, a child who gets raped repeatedly uh, when uh, she can't escape, can't run away, can't do this, can't do that, Um, is obviously uh, not going to grow up with any sense of self-protection. She is, uh, particularly in the realm of relationships and particularly in the realm of sexual relationships, she remains a child. Her her development is stunted and thwarted completely and destroyed. So that's sort of an important thing to understand, that, that prostitutes are the leftovers of pedophiles. And I hate to put it that way, but I'm just working with the statistics and with reports from those in the field. Prostitutes are the wreckage left behind by pedophiles, particularly pedophiles in the immediate blood family relationship. If you look at just outside the realm of direct rape, uh, if you look at, and the statistics are quite clear here as well, if you look at the disorderliness the chaos of the families that prostitutes grow up in. You know, majority physical violence reported. Uh, Majority people suggest that they go into prostitution. Uh, They know people who are in prostitution. These people are growing up in highly disordered neighborhoods, in very chaotic environments. I don't ever remember as a child growing up and somebody saying, hey, Steph, you know, uh, you should really go into um, prostitution. Right as a as a business. I mean, I don't I don't think anyone that I knew uh, was was offered that uh, boy boy or girl. Right. So this is a pretty seedy, decrepit, revolting uh, layer of society that these poor little girls are growing up in. And it's not their fault. Right? It's just where they happen to get born. So the the way that most women get into prostitution, uh, and of course there are uh, strong indications that the majority 
of women get into prostitution uh, between the ages of 13 and 14, the way that it occurs is the home life becomes so unbearable that the moment that they can legitimately get away, and it's not an accident that's around puberty, which is associated with obviously the physical changes, but brain developments, greater size and strength, and the capacity to earn a living as a prostitute, right? That's an, uh, an option that's open to them. And the home life becomes so absolutely unbearable uh, due to an escalation of rape, uh, or you start, as you get a little stronger, when you go through puberty, you start to fight back, and then the threats of violence or murder uh, escalate against the child. And so the child runs away. And half of the prostitutes had tried running away before, and so uh, the, you run away, and then you sort of make, you know, we all know this, this grim tale, right? This is, not, uh, this is not a mystery, right? You, you go to the big city, and uh, a guy in a big fedora... Uh, opens his door and says, let, get, let me get, get in, and then he gets you addicted to drugs, or, or he simply um, he continues the exploitation that has already occurred, right? I mean, there's no woman in the world who wakes up one day and says, you know, I don't think I'm going to go to my job as an accountant. I don't think I'm going to go to my job as a lawyer or a doctor or a clerk in a convenience store. I'm going to go and start selling my body for money. There is an extraordinary amount of pathology that needs to be put in place for that to be an option, right? Now, the question as to why, and I'm not going to be able to prove, I mean, this. I think that we can sort of reasonably infer a general pattern from the statistics, but I'm certainly not going to be able to prove this. But the repetition compulsion that occurs to people who've experienced early abuse is significant. And it's a way of normalizing their environment to escape the full horror of it. Right, so the full horror of being repeatedly raped as a child is something that I can't even conceive of. I mean, I just, I have a pretty good imagination. I can't conceive what that does to a human soul, uh, how it turns it to, to ashes and self-loathing and emptiness and, and, uh, and a murderousness in, in a kind of way. But the, um, uh, the repeated uh, raping, what, what it does to a human soul is, is, is so staggering that you end up with no sense of self-worth and all you're good for, the only reason for your existence is to, and, and the best that you can do uh, to escape being killed or, you know, badly mutilated or, or, or tortured is to submit to the rape of, uh, of men uh, in, in authority. That's, that's the only life that you really, that has any resonance with you. That's the only thing that makes sense to you in the world. And it's almost inconceivable that you wouldn't do that in a way. Uh, or at least wouldn't have susceptibility to that. Because, uh, you know, one of the reasons that people end up normalizing their childhoods is to escape the pain of, how, of those childhoods, right? So as long as you stay in this seedy, grim, disgusting, exploitive world, then your childhood makes a little bit more sense, right? It's like, well, this is the world, right? My childhood wasn't that unusual. The moment you start moving in more decent circles, you start to really feel the absolute humiliation of your lifestyle. And that's one of the reasons why these women say it's, it's to avoid those feelings of shame and humiliation and self-loathing, which may, will probably end up, and for, uh, you know, 15% of the suicides, successful suicides that hospitals receive are prostitutes, right? They've probably woken up and realized what their life is, right? I mean, that's, 
so they just can't take it anymore, and they don't see any other way out, right? And there's lots of reasons why it's hard to get out of prostitution, which we don't sort of have to get into here. I'm sure that you can mull back and think about uh, if you've been uh, living, uh, uh, being regularly raped and beaten and so on, that you have no self-esteem, uh, you have no self-worth, uh, you can't negotiate, uh, you're, you've got panic attacks, uh, you've got health problems, you've got no resume, you've got no education, you've got no references, uh, you've got no uh, organized lifestyle, sort of getting up and brushing your teeth and so on. Uh, it, is, uh, it is just wretched. So when, um, when a man goes to uh, a prostitute, right, this is an important thing to sort of understand. I want you to sort of picture this, and I hate to have to do this to you, and I'm sorry that this broadcast is so brutal. I really am. But uh, if, uh, if there is no um, uh, empathy for, these, uh, uh, for the continued exploitation, money or not, of these pedophilic leftovers, then, uh, you know, if you expect me to have um, empathy for Iraqis and empathy for abused children and empathy for the children of Christians, you certainly are not going to expect me, I think, not to have empathy for the leftovers from pedophiles, from raping fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and strangers and grandparents. Uh, if you expect that I'm going to hold back from having empathy for these poor children, if you think I'm going to have empathy for children who are beaten but not children who are raped, then you kind of don't get what I'm doing here, which is fine. I'm not saying you have to, but if you think that I'm going to let this one go, uh, or not be perfectly frank about the etymology of prostitution, then uh, you are, uh, you know, mistaken about my level of compassion for the helpless in the world. Now, if you go to a prostitute, and so say you go to a prostitute, I want you to sort of picture this. So you give her 200 bucks, and you want uh, sex, and you basically say to her, uh, you have a polite little chit-chat or whatever, right, to make it seem like it's not continued exploitation of uh, women who have uh, been raped as children, and you say to her, okay, take your clothes off, turn around, stick your butt in the air, you slap on your condom if you've got even two brain cells left, and hope that you don't get genital uh, warts or, um, uh, or uh, crabs or anything. And you put your penis into her, and I want you to picture this. She is reading a book, right? So she's uh, in doggy style, you're pounding away, and she's reading a book, or she's on the phone, right? Because if it's just about sex in a hole, right? If it's just about sex in a hole, wouldn't that be perfectly fine? Wouldn't that be perfectly fine? In fact, wouldn't it be better because at least you know she's occupied and, and not bored, right? So she's got a book or she's listening to her iPod or she's chatting on the phone while you're pounding away. But I tell you, that's not how it works, right? That's not how it works. And that's why the gentleman on Sunday was not able to understand that the woman, or process, that the woman did not, emphatically did not want to have sex with him. Because the person who goes to the prostitute has a very strong need to believe that the prostitute is enjoying herself. Right? A good prostitute, oh God, oh yes, oh daddy, whatever, whatever, right? A good prostitute it makes you feel like she sells it. She makes you feel like she's having a great time. So you want, and so you want to imagine or simulate some sort of relationship, right? That's why people say, oh no, we chat beforehand and whatever. And they, 
they sort of need to believe that the woman is enjoying it, right? If, uh, I mean, I remember a guy I knew many years ago who told me about going to a prostitute, and it was pretty grim. I mean, he would go to a prostitute, take some money out from the ATM, and he's having, uh, he's sort of a, he's having sex with her, for want of a better phrase, and he reaches out to touch her boobs, she slaps his hand away and says, no, that's extra, right? And then he tries to chat with her afterwards, and she says, look, you're, 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 this is not what I'm for, right? I mean, you're, you're in the wrong place for, the, for, for, for chit-chat, right? And uh, uh, so, I mean, again, I'm not, this is not statistically relevant. I'm just sort of pointing out that um, if you can imagine going to, if it's just about, you know, finding a hole, paying for a lubricated hole, getting your rocks off, then it shouldn't matter that the woman is, uh, uh, is, is, is reading a book or chatting on the phone or whatever, right, while she's doing it. And that she doesn't want to talk. But that's not what happens. What happens is that the men want to believe that the woman is enjoying herself. And I absolutely guarantee you that she's not. I absolutely guarantee you that she's not. Or if she is, it's in a vague, horrible, uh, and, you know, maybe even exciting and sort of dangerous kind of uh, self, self-hatred self and uh, in a masochistic kind of way. That's the only enjoyment she's getting out of it. Because since the vast majority of these women... Uh, self-report that they have been uh, raped as children, when you are uh, putting your penis into them and sawing back and forth, who are you in their minds, right? Like in their histories. Who have you become? Right? This is the part that uh, people really don't want to talk about. And I understand it because it's pretty grim to look in the mirror and say, I have the capacity for exploiting others. And it is exploitation. It doesn't matter that you give her money. It doesn't matter that you give her money. And the reason that it doesn't matter why you give her money is that if she had not been previously raped and abused in horrifying ways, she wouldn't even be at the table. The differentiator is not the money the differentiator is the woman's history of savage abuse as a child. Right? You can't have a deal if no one's sitting down at the table, no matter how much money you have. You can't go to a woman of high self-esteem and offer her any amount of money for her to have sex with you because she'll just say no. The only reason that the prostitute is available is because of her history of sexual abuse. And that is what makes prostitution possible, not the money. Not the money. Not the money. The money is a symptom. It is not a cause. And it is not an excuse. How is it that a woman ends up with the capacity to have sex with 5 or 7 or 10 or 12 or 15 men a day? Well, the, the reason that she's able to have sex with that many women, sorry, with that many men, is because she's fundamentally dissociated from the sexual act. She is not there. What's happened is her connection with sexuality, with her vagina, with her body, with intimacy, has been so severed, crushed, and broken through early sexual abuse that she is able to disconnect and dissociate herself from... The, uh, the act of, of, uh, of having a stranger put his penis into her, 
and all of the vulnerability that is associated with that act. Right? Men probably have a little bit of a tougher time. Right? But imagine if uh, I put out an ad for a job which said, you, uh, as a man, I'm looking for a guy who'll do this, who five, seven, or ten times a day or more is going to let other men tie him down and insert a broomstick in his butt and work it back and forth for ten minutes. And you're like, well, gosh, that's pretty vulnerable, right? I'm tied down. What if I get a sadist? What if some guy just goes nuts? What if I move wrong? Has it got the capacity to really injure me, right? Because there's an internality to the female sexual organs. There's a vulnerability. The woman has her legs spread. The guy's pounded away inside her, and she's pressed under his usually double size. If something goes wrong, she's really helpless, right? This is why the rape element is occurred. She is helpless. Now, people of high self-esteem don't put themselves in those kinds of physically dangerous situations. How much would I have to pay you to get you to uh, enter a profession which was very unlikely to you were very unlikely to escape, wherein you were, you were tied down 8, 10, 12 times a day, and a big man put, uh, a, a broom, a big man put a broomstick up your butt? Right? What, what would you have to look in the mirror and see in order for you to say, that's a good, that's a good option, that's what I want? Well, clearly, it would not be a healthy choice, right? And so, if you were able to do that, obviously, you'd have no self-esteem, right? Because you'd be, even if you just look at it at the pure physical risk level, right? It's the physical risk level that's, that's, that's missing. I mean, and it's not the only component. It's another symptom, but it's important. It's important. There is a difference between ordering a meal and ordering a whore. There is a difference. And that's why. You can go to your mom tomorrow night and go to family dinners or go to church and say, I had a great meal at this restaurant. But you can't hand out a card which says, this hooker will blow you like there's no tomorrow. You don't ask the chef to pretend to enjoy cooking for you. And eating a meal is not a physically vulnerable situation. I mean, of course, for the man, there's a physical vulnerability in, in a blowjob as well, but his size difference and so on is, is still so large, and the solitary nature of it is, is so considerable that uh, there, is this, uh, there is this physical risk at all times. If you're pounding away on the woman and you hit her cervix or you injure her or you're leaning too hard on her or you suddenly get seized by a fit of rage and start really banging at her and bruising her, what's she going to do? Well, officer... Um, this man assaulted me when I was, you know, and if it was legal, there would still be the risk. Even if you charged every guy who ever hurt you as a prostitute and you had that, that availability or that access through the court system in a DRO society, you would still be facing that physical risk. And there's lots of other psychological aspects. I don't even know if we're going to get to the, to the John side of things, right? I just sort of want you to understand that uh, a, a prostitute is, uh, is not enjoying it, and it's only possible for her to be a prostitute because she completely dissociates during the sexual act. And this doesn't mean that she, she, she's not... I mean, it doesn't mean that, that she never gets any physical pleasure from sex, but uh, certainly um, in the knowledge that I've gleaned through various sources, uh, a prostitute may have 
you know, bisexual relationships. You may have relationships outside of prostitution where there's some enjoyment of sexuality, although sexuality is almost invariably rather um, non-mainstream, let's say. But there's no pleasure in the act of, of prostitution itself. It's a cash transaction, right? And we know that if you, uh, if you are tortured repeatedly, right, if you're in some prisoner of war camp and you're tortured repeatedly, the body's fundamental defense is dissociation, right? When pain becomes overwhelming, the mind snaps off and you, you sort of go to your happy place and you can't feel anymore, right? That's sort of what, it's a short circuit. It's like, you know, when the body experiences severe trauma and great pain, uh, fainting or unconsciousness is, is the body's defense for dealing with overwhelming pain. The same thing occurs in the mind. It's dissociation. You no longer can feel what is happening to you. And for a woman, uh, for a prostitute, if she did not have the capacity to dissociate from the sexual act, to zone out and no longer feel during the sexual act, during the act of penetration, if she did not have that capacity, then she could not be a prostitute. If she felt shame, degradation, and humiliation, if she had gone through treatment for her sexual abuse and recognized how horrifying that experience was for her, rather than have a repetition compulsion and the no self-esteem which says, you know, if all you can offer is a whole, right? I mean, if your soul, like in, in the sort of, tied down with a broomstick up your butt scenario, if that's your contribution economically to be tied down, like, that's not a great deal of contribution, right? So if all you have to offer is a whole, right, not a person. Now, saying, if you go to a prostitute and naturally the, the, um, the demand, the requirement is that she pretend to enjoy it, right? So she pretend to enjoy it. So somebody I was chatting with um, uh, yesterday was saying, oh, I went to a prostitute and, and uh, she, was, uh, she was going to school and she had a boyfriend and she said it was just, you know, it was an interesting way to earn money and so on and so on and so on, right? So he's chatting, he, needs to, he needs to believe that, right? But statistically, it's just not true. Actually, she may be going to school. Right? Some prostitutes are very, uh, very well educated, right? There's no, no, but they all have the same history of extraordinary abuse and stunted development. And they are child women when it comes to... Um, when it comes to their sexuality in particular and, and negotiation in life and wise decisions and so on, right? Because the reason that I put... I'm oh, sorry, so... so and, and, he, and so I asked him, I said, well, would you be happy if your girlfriend uh, up and started having sex with strangers for money? And he's like, yeah, I have no problem with that, right? And I understand that. He needs to believe that. He needs to believe that. And maybe he wouldn't have any problem with it consciously, right? But that simply indicates a kind of dissociation on his part. And again, you can get all mad and tell me why and say this is all completely wrong and uh, we can drop that. If that's an issue of contention, I'm not wed to that, right? We're not going to talk about the Johns at the moment. I'm just trying to get you to understand that going and having sex with women who have been raped as children and insisting that they enjoy it or that they pretend to enjoy it is for the women a recreation of childhood rape. It is a recreation of childhood rape, and it only occurs, the only reason that the woman is having sex with you is not because of the money, right? Because you can go and offer 200 bucks to just about any woman to have sex with you, but the only ones who will say yes 
of those who were raped as children. And it's not that every woman who was raped as a child becomes a prostitute and this and that. That's not what I'm saying. But I guarantee you that if a woman says yes to 200 bucks of paid sex when she doesn't know you from Adam or from John, that she's had a history of abuse. And so the reason that I wanted to, uh, to talk about that is because when you're the guy saying, I'm going to, uh, you know, basically we're going to recreate your childhood rape, right? That's, that's what is occurring with prostitution because we know that only uh, women who've been raped as children, uh, you know, statistically almost all of them end up as prostitutes. Now, I know there's going to be people out there who then want to say, well, I know of one Irma LaDuce exception, right? I know of one exception, and that's, you know, therefore it's not a perfect theory. It's like, well, sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, you, you will claim to know, you may claim to believe, and so on, right? But, um, you know, and if, you, uh, you know, if you've gone through a couple of years of therapy, and if you've got no history, and, and you still, uh, you know, you're a prostitute and so on, fascinating. Love to hear more about it. That doesn't change the general trend, right? That doesn't change the general trend. And the fact that people look for exceptions to this rule means that they're having grave difficulty finding empathy for these raped children, right? And you kind of need to, not for me, not, not forget about me, I'm not important. You need to look in the mirror and say to yourself, I can't find empathy for, for raped children, right? That's a very important thing to know about yourself. When we've talked about the dark side before, this is a pretty black side of human nature. Because if you're going to a woman who was raped as a child, who is functionally still a child when it comes to her development, and you are paying her, and then you're basically putting your penis in her, and you're telling her that she, has to, she, she must fake enjoyment of this rape recreation, that's kind of exploitive, right? That's not something that is kind of sadistic. And I'm hedging a little here. I could go a lot further, but I just I want to sort of do this as gently as possible. But that is really what's occurring, because that is the one common denominator, is abuse, specifically sexual abuse, for the prostitute as a child, which has totally stunted her development and lends her to be an a unprotected child when it comes to sexual matters and matters of choice, particularly life choices, particularly in the realm of her body. She has had no experience saying no. In fact, the only experience she's had saying no to anyone is uh, if, I don't, uh, if you don't submit to the childhood rape, then you'll be tortured or killed. Right? That's, that's the only experience she's had of saying no. So she's never developed any sense of ego boundaries or self-protection. And she's fundamentally dissociating. So you're going in, recreating a childhood rape, and then demanding that she pretend to like it. That's not healthy. That's not what a happy, healthy, and confident person does. A happy, healthy, and confident person does not going around, does not go around paying women who've been sexually abused to put his penis into her, recreating the rape within their own unconscious and then tell them that they have to like it, and they better like it, and that, that the whole transaction is based on them pretending to like it. That's not healthy. That is a fairly revolting form of exploitation. And if you think that these women are not severely 
damaged goods and broken goods and the functional equivalence of retarded children when it comes to their own sexuality, well, you know that. I mean, you know that. I mean, the reason people are fighting so hard about this uh, on the boards and in my email, the reason that people are fighting so hard about this is everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that uh, you don't end up being a prostitute because you just think it's a cool career choice. Everybody knows the history of these people. And people don't want to take sides because, of course, the sexual abuse of children is still one of the dark corners of... Uh, well, it's more than a corner, sadly. Is a, is a pretty black area of human relations, right? But um, this is why I say... Um, uh, and Christina says, right? I mean, this is somebody who spent a long time working with these people. Um, this is why Christina says that it's an act of... of of humiliation of the other, of, of a rage against the other, and humiliation of the self. You know, recreating a childhood abuse and demanding that the person uh, claims that they enjoy it is around the continued destruction of the soul of the other human being. It's not like ordering a meal. It's not like getting a massage. Sexuality is about intimacy, right? And, and of course, for a woman... Right, I mean, the, the the sort of psychology of sexuality for women was evolved prior to the pill, naturally. Right, so a woman uh, to open her legs invites the creation of a family. Right, as we all know. Right, so for a woman to say yes, I will have intercourse with you, or I will have sex with you, is uh, a pretty significant act because it's around the creation of children. Right, I mean, that's sort of how women's psychology has developed with regards to sexuality. And so, of course, a woman with any kind of self-esteem, is going to want a man around to raise her children. Like, he's going to want a man who's decent, who's going to be around, who's going to provide, who's going to take his responsibilities seriously, who's going to be honorable, who's going to go and get her uh, some mastodon meat while she's pregnant, and he's going to whatever, right? A, a decent, kind, generous guy who's going to be around to raise her children, right? Because that's, uh, that's what she wants. She wants the best for her children, and she wants to be treated well. She believes she's deserved, uh, deserving of being treated well. She won't accept being treated badly. That's sort of self-esteem, right? I'm going to be treated well. I'm going to treat other people well. I'm not going to accept being treated badly. And that's sort of the basis around the sort of question of self-esteem. And... So a woman uh, opening her legs and letting a man uh, put his penis inside her, I mean, the psychology of, of sort of basic biological and psychological nature of women has not changed in the last 30 years or 40 years since the invention of the pill. And so that is to invite the creation of a family, right? That's sort of to get the family going is a woman deciding to have sex with someone, right? And so, yeah, it's a bit more significant for a woman than it is for a man, just sort of in, in her soul. And so... Uh, for a woman to just open her legs up and, and have sex with a guy because for 200 bucks, uh, clearly uh, that's not a very rational decision in the sort of history of a woman's psychology wherein that would invite the creation of a family, right? I mean, this endless sort of getting pregnant and so on that occurred for women. Uh, and of course, prostitution is an age old, uh, the oldest profession. Um, but uh, there is, there's a blind spot, you know, and I'm, I'm a little bit surprised to, to see it, right? But there is a real blind spot when it comes to uh, empathy for the victims of child rape and the after effects of it, which is the continued rape and violence and uh, uh, utterly disordered, disorganized, chaotic lives where the mortality rate is 40 times higher, 40 times higher than the average population. And of course, prostitutes, you know, a lot of them don't live to be a very old age. And what, what happens when they do, right? What happens in the long run to a prostitute when she gets too old? 
Well, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty grim. It's pretty grim what happens to prostitutes when they get older. No savings, no, no, uh, uh, they've got no uh, old age pensions they've got, right? I mean, this is a pretty grim, uh, they've got no, no way of escaping this life, right? I mean, there is, a, there is a point of no return, right? Now, of course, the question is, well, what happens to these prostitutes if they uh, end up, uh, uh, like, if I don't support them, they're, you know, it's going to be even worse for them. Or it's like, well, you know, but if you've got 200 bucks and you want to really help a prostitute, then, uh, you know, donate to a charity that helps get these, these women out of prostitution, right? Helps get them some help, right? Don't, don't exploit them. Don't continue the sexual exploitation that began in their families. That's, I mean, at least don't support this. I mean, do things to help children, for sure. I mean, yeah, if you care, absolutely. But uh, I don't think that it's fair to say that um, the way that I help those who have been raped as children is to pay them to have sex with them as an adult. I don't think that really follows logically, right? It's a pretty... Uh, I mean, it's a pretty horrendous thing to do, fundamentally, right? And so, when I said that somebody who visits a, a man who visits a prostitute uh, is not indicate, does not indicate high self-esteem, it indicates low self-esteem, uh, this is sort of the stuff that I'm working with, right? And you can uh, certainly put up alternate theories, and I'm certainly happy to hear them, but, you know, we sort of do have to work with the basic facts, which is that almost all the women, and I only say almost because there's no way of proving the final conclusion, but certainly... Uh, from a wide variety of studies, a wide variety of sources, almost all the women who end up in prostitution do so as a result or as a direct, uh, have a direct history of uh, sexual, extreme sexual and physical abuse as children, right? So imagining that some 13, 14, or 15-year-old, right, which is the average age of entering the profession in, in many areas, uh, is, um, uh, is competent to make decisions. Uh, and of course, by the but and when she enters the profession, it's not like she learns a whole lot more about self-protection and how decent people interact with each other, right? So it's not like by the time she's twenty, uh, she can then make better decisions, right? Because she's just further traumatized and herself and has been traumatized with repeated rapes and violence and and so on, right? And and all of this stuff is is independent of the legality of it, right? I mean, because when you're looking at a causality uh, that occurs prior to uh, somebody entering the profession making it legal, which I support, right? I mean, so I think prostitution should, should be legal. Um, but uh, changing the, um, uh, changing the, uh, the laws is not going to change how it sort of initially comes about. So uh, I hope that this has been helpful, at least sort of put out my sort of theories about it. And uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, and we'll talk about this later. Thank you so much.